that was, but nonetheless. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Grace Garage Pod presented by our Grace Garage Pod with co-host Jason Ridmore presented by Bike911.com. If you need some legal stuff, reach out to Bike911.com. It's Alex Asante, our boy who's a motorcycle enthusiast just like yourself. He talks your language. Reach out to him. Give him a buzz. By the way, if you're interested in doing contractual stuff, he's really good at that stuff. You know, you have a race team, maybe you need some stuff. You're hiring some riders or you're doing deals with people. You need a loan agreement. I don't know. Reach him out. Reach out to bike911.com. Jason Pridmore is here, everybody. Sorry, it's a Thursday. JP, you've been awfully busy. Schedule's been nuts, but now you're back home and it's Thursday. We're doing this podcast. How is you? I'm good, man. Good, good. Just been, like you said, just been on it a little bit. And uh, yeah, got home. How did I get home? I got home Tuesday night. So late, uh, late Tuesday, Tuesday I, night. I went straight from Houston. I went straight from Atlanta right to Houston. And then I was there for two days and then flew home Tuesday night. And then, uh, yeah, yesterday, I forgot what was going on. Oh, I had to go get, I had to go get shots yesterday, didn't I? In my ankle. So yeah, that's why we couldn't do it yesterday morning, and then uh, it works out. So thanks, everybody, for uh, understanding that G-Dub and I don't have, like, an absolute set, perfect, this is when we're doing it, because it juggles around for us a little bit. But, Jay, we're really happy, I think, both of us, that we do have this outlet because of what happened in Superbike Race number 2, where, you know, we were live on the air for one hour, and time ran out because we had a red flag in kind of the middle of the race. And But we're going to talk about more about that later, but we're going to get into it because we're going to talk about Moto America Road Atlanta. We're going to talk about some World Superbike Aston. And honestly, there's not a ton to talk about in World Superbike. <laughs> there really isn't. We're going to talk. Yeah, yeah we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, Supercross, Supercross Fantasy as well. And of course, we're going to talk news presented by Arai. Uh, let's see. I don't know. How about, um, hey, for three generations, Arai's been making some of the world's best helmets. And of course, Arai Helmets meets all safety standards. But they also provide themselves a blend of engineering tech and human craftsmanship. Yeah, they're made by hand. That makes Arai Helmet fit better and feel better, which also protects you better. Your head's worth the very best. So visit AraiAmericas.com. For more information on tech fit finished paint jobs, AraiAmericas.com. Because, and I coined this phrase, you owe it to you. You owe it to your head, to your vision, okay? And that new contour helmet. Ah. Oh. Even has a little redesign on the side, Jay, so you can put yourself a nice cardo unit. Be able to chit-chat with your friends and have a good time. All right. Hey, was Jeff in Atlanta? I didn't see him. No. No. He was not. Bo was there. My boy Bo was there. Oh, I got it. Bo was there. Je- yeah. Jeff Wheel, is. he got a promotion, basically. So oh. now he goes and spends time at Indy races, NASCAR oh, races, he's big flat time track races. He's big time. He's yeah, forgot about it, us little people. And Moto America races when he gets a chance. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Good job, Jeff. Love it. Which, if you ask Jeff Wheel what his favorite is, you don't want to, you don't want to hear the answer. So uh, anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, just a bit of news. Uh, Moto America Medallia Superbike Champion Jake Gagne underwent arm pump surgery on Wednesday. It's the third time he's done it in his life. What's it called, Jay? Compartmental surgery or compartmentalized, something like that. So basically, there's like this sack that surrounds those muscles in your forearm. And when you like the blood can accumulate there. And I've had it. I'm sure you've had arm pump in in some of the years you've been riding. Mm. Basically turns your forearm to a rock and it hurts and you can't really pull the brake lever. 
he was still able to gather a win, but he knew it happened after race one. So he went for the surgery. This is our longest break, Jay, three and a half weeks till our next event. And then after that, you know, it'll be probably what, two weeks, I think, max between our events until we get to, or maybe even three till we get to Jersey at the, or um, Road America. Yeah. Jersey at the end of the year. Oh yeah. Jersey. Yeah. 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 So what are your thoughts about Jake getting that surgery done for the third time though? I, I, <laughs> I was actually surprised. I did. I only thought you could do it once in your life. I oh didn't no. Yeah. You, you can get it times. done. You know, what's funny about Jake is you could tell he didn't even want to say it on the podium. Like that's what I love mm-hmm. about Jake. He was like, uh, I've been struggling a little bit. Like he was take nothing away from, you know, from cam. He was very cool about that, but it was like, it's the worst man. It is the absolute worst. And Atlanta always seems to be the worst place for it. Um, I didn't hear as many complaints about it this year as I have in years past, but like Jake told me in, in on Sunday morning, you know, I ripped down there to talk to some of the writers and he was saying, he's like, the problem is, is that the more you get it, the less effective it is, which is like that with a lot of things. Even these shots that I've been getting in my ankles. You're talking about the surgery? The so surgery. The more- yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, so so it's going to be effective. It's always going to help him. Um, and it'll help him from here on out. But, you know, it, it can be one of those things where it's like, the, like I said, the shots I've been getting, they, the first one I ever got, I was like, oh my God, I, mean, I was walking like crazy during COVID. I was like, I couldn't believe how I was like, I had a whole new lease on life. And now the shots aren't quite as good as they were. So, mm. you know, but, but for Jake, it's, it's a frustrating thing, man, because your brain and the rest of your body is fit and you're ready to go. And I think Doc Bryan did the surgery too. So I know they weren't too far down the road Correct. for me a couple hours down the road. So uh, Jake will get that. He'll recover. The, the great thing about the arm pump stuff too is, you know, you can still, he can still go hiking and doing all the stuff he likes to do when he's, you know, when he's training, he can still go do a lot of that stuff. And, um, you know, so his fitness, his fitness isn't going to be compromised. He'll be good. The thing about Jake too, if you look at his riding style, I think it has to do with him coming from the motocross background, but he is, I would say one of the top two most active people on the motorcycle, especially a place like road Atlanta, where you have those curves at the top of the hill turn two. He uses so much leg. He talks about how much leg he uses to help control the motorcycle, but also in order to hold on when you're using legs, you know, sometimes you have to do different things on the bars to someone who's like Bobier is not as active on the bike. You know what I mean? Like his body position is a little bit more subtle and, and things like that. So, you know, it's, well, you it's still gotta, Jake's 20, yeah. you're still 29. holding on to, you're still holding on to the bars at the end of the day. But that guy, I said yeah, to him, I said to him, G dub, I, I said to him straight up, I said, is, is I was watching him like come out of turn five. He's like literally standing on the bike. Like that Gagne. Gagne. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the same thing for those little S, S's at the top to your point. Like he's just, he is all over the foot pegs, and um, but you know where it is, Greg, is when you get to the top of the hill and you got those little the little chicane thing that they put up there. It's the next fast downhill left and the next downhill right, where you know when those gyros are spinning as hard as they are, and you got you still are holding onto the bars, and that's what's that's what gets a lot of guys pumped up. So it definitely does that. Thing. Yeah, it's not like I, I think people sometimes like over the years and we were doing your schools that used to go around. I know now you're doing one-on-ones, JP43 racing, by the way. It's not that it's training. It's training actually. JP43 training. Yeah, it's good that you know the com. name of it. Thanks. <laughs> .com. What a plug. What a hashtag <laughs> hashtag shitty plug. Thank you. Thanks. How this much am I paying? How much am I paying? How much am I paying you for that? 0 Point zero. I got my money's worth. Actually, now I owe you money because I messed it up. So I probably owe you $5 <laughs> yeah. after this one. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you know, people used to say like, 
you know, we talk about body position and using your legs and some people thought it was like one or the other, right? It's like, mm -hmm. right. It's like right or left. It's like, no, no, no. What we're saying is, is you still have to be connected to the bars and you still add input to the bars. It's just not, that's the only thing you're doing. And if you watch like, even going back in time, you watch like Eric Bostrom, the one of the best tracks, Jay, that I used to watch Eric at was, uh, was Pike's peak, mm -hmm. right? And Pike's peak, you had like this, you know, this, I don't know, was an M section or whatever. You'd come out in the infield. You'd have to go left, right, left, right kind of a thing. And he always led with his legs. You would always see his hips move. Then you would see him transition. So the corner was initiated with those legs, waiting the pegs. And then, so that way, you know, for that race was what? 50 something laps or something 48 yeah, was, laps or whatever it was yeah that was a long one how do you not get worn out if you were just trying to steer the bike with the front end of the bike right you know so right. you'd look at that and say okay you know and, you, and you, you you watch and you ask questions and people would tell you yeah this is how i do the corner and all that kind of stuff so anyway gagne is really good on a motorcycle that's why he's two-time champ i do think that some of the race that we saw it was because he wasn't at 100% as well, but that we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But still in Arai news, let's talk about Mark Marquez, Jay, because he's still out. He's not going to be here. This weekend is Jerez, um, and, you know, which happens, starts tomorrow, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> tomorrow. But Iker Likawona is going to replace him, Jay. What are your thoughts about uh, good old Iker, Iker Likawona? I don't really understand him? it. I mean, look, Brattle's been testing for them. He's been their guy. He's tested a ton at Jerez. I don't really understand why they would bring in a guy that's got to get used to a new bike again and all that stuff. I mean, that's the thing is he's going to have to get back on a MotoGP bike. Yes, he knows MotoGP from riding on the KTM, but he's got to get back on the MotoGP bike. He's going to have to get used to tires. There's just a lot of things throwing at him. So why wouldn't we just put Brattle back on the thing and let him do it? Possibly because you've got to keep in mind that HRC <clears throat> has a contract with Calex, and Calex is now making new chassis for, for HRC. Mm -hmm. The only reason I would think is because they have some type of testing schedule and he's not available. You Brattle's know what I mean? Whether available. that's, that's my guess. And I'm not saying it's going to happen over the GP weekend, mm -hmm. but I'm saying it could possibly be right before, right after he needs to be maybe in Japan. I don't know. Mm, it's all speculation. I see what you're saying. Like, yep. It, but, and that's the only reason I can think they wouldn't use Brottle, uh, and you, your next best choice, you know, unless they think, you know, for some reason, they're looking at Lakawona and they're saying, you've done really good things. You've outridden the bike that we're giving you in World Superbike, and here's an opportunity. I don't know, but my guess is going to be that Brottle just isn't available. For like maybe Brottle has some other commitments with the company, within the company. So so all that, somewhere, it's a great point, and you're 100% you're right. But if we see him standing in the pit box with his clothes on, on. Then we'll know I'm full of shit. Unless, <laughs> unless it's what I said, though. Unless what I'm saying is, unless he's got to go on Sunday and he needs to fly to Japan. And he, you know what I mean? Like if there's, and that happens sometimes. Generally, te test teams aren't going to schedule on top of a GP because it kind of doesn't make sense. But sometimes there are instances. And you know, Jay, they can't have their way all the time. If this track's only avail available during this time or Calex delivers the frame at this particular time or whatever. There are a lot of factors that are involved. I mean, look, maybe Brottle has to go to a wedding. I, well, I hey, know. how about this, you know, though, like, Greg? If Brottle is considered their test rider, correct? Mm -hmm. Is there only a certain amount of number of races that he can actually do? Like, say for argument's yeah. sake that he's got to, say for argument's sake that he's going to he's gonna test something on Monday at Jerez. Let's just say, we, I mean, we don't know this for facts. I don't know either, but is there is there a thing where they go, okay, well, you know, this guy's more or less right now like a permanent rider because he's, He's taking the place of Marquez at every event that Marquez misses. So Brattle can't actually go test at the test days because he's become more of a, because he's become more of a permanent guy. 
See, that's another question. So if as a fill-in rider, he shouldn't have any restrictions. As a wild card rider, if you were the third rider, say, added, that mm-hmm. would be different. But as a fill-in rider, there are certain rules. But I do know that Moto2 tested at Jerez, okay. right, a couple days ago. Oh, they did. I didn't, I didn't know that. Sometimes uh-huh. the MotoGP testing teams will go along with the Moto2 teams as well. We just won't hear about it. So they'll they'll get their track time and do their work, and maybe that's a case where Brottle ended up having to test, and yep. he's not eligible because he was on the track on a GP bike. You know, like there's there's so many things we don't know about it that right. that could be the reason. And honestly, I read the headline, I didn't read the press release. Yeah, you know, like in terms of like what Repsol, what the team and all that kind of stuff had sent out. But either way, I agree with you. It's it's going to be a tough road to hoe for Lukawona. The good news is he's back in a familiar paddock. He spent years there. He's on different tires, on a different bike. I think expectations will probably be as low as you possibly get. I would say probably what Gas Gas had on on um, Giannis Folger, which was like literally just qualify and go have fun. Now maybe Folger has got a little bit of a different, you know, different thing because he is going to still be racing right Folger mm-hmm. for Paul Espargaro, who also won't be returning. That poor guy Perez. got some teeth removed. Yeah. And you got Pedrosa this weekend coming back for KTM and doing a he's oh, doing a, right. a wild yeah. card this weekend too. Yeah, it's it's we're well into it now. And it isn't I think World Superbike's the following weekend at Catalonia. So Lecamona will get a lot of seat time this weekend and then be ready <laughs> for the following. So yeah, yeah, he'll be busy. Uh the Kazakhstan GP is canceled with no replacement. I'm talking about the MotoGP World Championship. Uh, so the championship now goes from 21 races to 20, mm-hmm. which is hopefully a number we can remember. And uh, the issue that they're stating is homologation. Uh, they haven't r- met the homologation requirements at the deadline. So they're pulling the plug on the race. Everybody is expecting to race Kazakhstan in 2024. I did see, Jason, that MotoGP launched today their 2024 preliminary calendar. Oh, wow. I did not. I did not read it, okay. um, but I did see somewhere there was a post on it, and I'm pulling up MotoGP right now. Yeah, but of course there is a, you know, you have to go do the do the cookies thing, confirm my cookie choices, blah blah blah. I was seeing also they did a thing where um, they were talking about how many Grand Prix that have been scheduled and then never happened, and there's like I want to see there's like eight in the last three years or four years or something. It's pretty phenomenal the number of tracks that have committed to to saying hey we're going to have this in in enough of an order where where we're going to be ready to have you guys and then that doesn't happen and i just wonder how that hmm. all works financially with these teams or these these tracks you know it's pretty because mm-hmm. you know you have to consider that when tracks when tracks commit to running an event and then they cancel all these teams have built a budget based around how many events there are going to be so I think for a lot of the teams, how does that work? Do they get one less race budgeted or do they get to keep the budget they have for the year? That the expense that it must cost to, to do some of that stuff. And then for a team or for a track to, to bail out or whatever, how, how the financial side of that on, on both ends to MotoGP side, to the track side, to the team side, it's man, there's a lot of moving pieces to all that. It would seem. Yeah. I mean, if we lose a race, you and I lose a paycheck, right? Like that's, 
Yeah, but, but but and you know on the MotoGP side you have a lot of independent contractors that are maybe PR people mm-hmm. you know that may not be getting a salary you have journalists you have, there's a, a lot of things and and also you're you know when you're negotiating your rider salary you're expecting your rider to do this many days I mean honestly if I'm the manufacturer and you go from 21 to 20 nobody cares really care. yeah nobody cares no like, yeah that's that's look, not and at the end of the day it's not the rider's fault it's not you know it's not the team's faults so yeah it's it's but that's where I think Dorna comes in and says hey here's the situation like you have, it's like the Suzuki deal, right? Suzuki signs a deal for however many more years and then bails six months later. It's like, how does that, how does that affect like all the, as soon as that decision is made at Suzuki, like we're not going anymore, even though we've committed to three more years or whatever they had committed to. It's like, how does that affect the trickle down and all that has got to be pretty wild to just like, if you could actually follow it, you know? So, By the way, did you hear the rumor coming out of Coda that it was one of the, it wasn't Espaleta who said it, who's, you know, the charge of Dorna, but what it was either the FIM president or one of the higher ups in Dorna. Somebody said, expect Suzuki to announce within the next year that they'll be coming back to MotoGP soon. That was at Assen. Um, that was at Assen at World Superbike because he was there for World Superbike and you know who it is. Is you, that what happened? Yeah. it. I've showed it to you. Um I, oh, it is the president of the FIM. It's That's the who president it is. of the FIM. The FIM. I, I did you sh- and I were talking about it. That's where you and I were talking about it. And he more or less, well, he did say, he goes, like, he's basically like, Suzuki will be back. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, that's interesting, you know? like That is interesting because from what I've heard over last weekend, talking to some people who are in the know, there is still a race department at Suzuki, but it's about four people right now. But so don't you talking think... about rebuilding that whole program and the fact you've lost one of your key people to HRC, good luck. But don't you think so that like when the president says that, that they've gone down the path of Suzuki, you're going to be in a lot of trouble if you don't figure out a way to get back here because you've committed to us for this amount and it'll probably cost you less money to come back racing than it would for you to pay the... Or, who knows? I mean, we are just completely speculating, but I thought it was a pretty wild thing that he would even say something like that, especially on camera. You know, like I was like, whoa, that's why I said it to you when I came to the booth. <laughs> yeah. I was like, really? Like Suzuki's coming. Like w- they're going to be back. Like, are we talking about a year or two or 30 years? Are we just speculating that? Yeah, they'll be back at some point. Like, so really interesting. Let, let's just even say it's a year, Jay. Let's say it's let's say they come back next year. Uh-huh. First of all, most of their personnel are gone, so they have to figure out how to how to find good quality people to to rebuild the program. But I'm telling you, GP moves so fast. It does that one year you can't take the bike from last year that won a race the end of last year, fire it up at the beginning of 2024, and expect that thing to even be close. No, no, you're 100. That's how right. much development goes into these bikes now. It's like, you know, obviously you hear stories. Like, I think I told you that one AIM Expo where Kenny Roberts Jr. was like the, I don't know, the mascot. <laughs> Sorry, Kenny. Yeah. But whatever he was, and I got to get on stage and interview him. I mean, it was nuts. Back then, in you know, in 2000, when he won his, his or when when did he start racing on Suzuki? It was two, still two strokes. 90. It was 99, 99 right? 99, because he won the 2000 right. championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so one of the stories that he tells is he gets the ride, he goes to test, that winter in Japan and they were like, what configuration motor do you want? And he's like, I don't know. What do you have available? And they're like, well, we have a screamer. We have a big bang. We have a, this, we have a, that. And he was like, can I try them all? And they were like, yeah. So they showed up and, and they literally had a part, had a crank 
you know, which defines the 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 order in which it fires, right? The the foundation for it. They had a crank in a plastic baggie that had oil in it. And he was like, Well, what's this crank for? And he goes, Oh, that was that was the engine configuration from uh Kevin Schwantz's 93 bike that's sitting in the museum. So wow. we opened up the motor in the museum and we took this crank and you can try it. <laughs> so we're talking wow oh yeah dude oh i'm not even kidding That's wild. so you're talking 93 bike to you know 99 was, and yeah. 2000 when you're 2000s a year where you know honda is now starting to introduce uh electronics traction control and stuff it was the year that it was kind of rained a little bit more than it normally does and it was the perfect alignment it, yeah i remember that it was a great year it was perfect but it was the beginning of the end <clears throat> but that 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 you can't ha- you can't have an engine that's ex- identical. That engine had to be identical to the 90. I think it was, I think Kenny said it was identical to the 92. Amazing. Engine. It was the exact same engine. So, and all they did was just change the crank on it. And that doesn't happen anymore. It's you know, so crazy the engine to think might about stay around two, three years, but yeah, right. It's, it's crazy to think how much flack, not flack, but you always hear that like, Oh, you know, Kenny jr. Won the world championship that year, but it rained a lot. It's like, well, did Kenny order for it to rain every weekend? Like, I know like it's so funny to me. Like, like, but dude, that's, you, that, that's how you win a championship. Number one, you finish races, you score points. Number two, you win a couple races. I don't care. You know, even Ben Bostrom won one without winning a race. Big deal. He's still the champ. Still but champ. number two, it's it was the perfect fault. storm. Rossi and Honda were struggling a little bit because they were trying something new and innovative. That opened up the door a little bit. Yep. It rained a couple extra races, and the Suzuki just happened to be slow. So it was good in the rain. You know what yep. I mean? Yep. Like, it, but but it doesn't matter. That was the moment. That was the moment to win the championship. And Kenny was the best rider on the bike that was in the best shape to do it on the best tires to do it. And that's the end of it. That's yeah. the end of the story. Yeah, that's great. You know, and it's like, dude, what do you, you know, there's no, and dude, the stories are unreal. I mean, he won that championship with a cracked frame and they had I two mean, frames. That's yeah. It's anyway, I could tell those stories forever, but we won't, we got, we're not, we're not going back too much in time because Bastianini uh, on the factory, Ducati team has been cleared to race. So now that factory team goes back to hundred percent strength. You know, this is the rivalry that we want to see. We want to see, uh, Peko Bagnaya and Bastianini basically fighting. We want to see them arguing. They're not part of the same buddy, buddy VR 46 camp. They don't necessarily like each other. You know, they're not BFF. They're not sending Christmas cards. They don't hate each other necessarily, but we could see this, you know, revitalized. I'm excited to see Bastianini back on the bike in the saddle. What's your opinion? Um, well, yeah, it's great. First off, I'm glad he's back and he's healthy. Cause it's, I mean, he was very lucky that he didn't get hurt worse as hard as he hit the ground there at, Port, at Portugal. He, you know, what's, it's funny to me is it wasn't really like he was even really close to the front at Portugal. That was what was weird to me. He's, you, you come off that, you come off that Pramic team and dying to get to the factory team. And he literally tested there and then wasn't really anywhere in the race when he got, when, when Marini went underneath him and they crashed, it, it, it was weird because the rivalry will only be the you know, rivalries are, are, I don't know how to explain it, but rivalries to me are when it's year in and year out. And we saw him last year finish second to, um, he finished second to Bagnai a couple times when you and I were thinking, is he going to take him out? Like, I remember Mazzano. I remember, I can't remember where the other one was, where it was like, even the Ducati bosses were like holding their heads. Like, is this guy, what's going on right now? Cause you could tell that he was trying to respect Bagnaya, but he wanted to win and he was willing to try anything. But so far 
factory bike to factory bike, he hasn't really shown that he's the guy to, to really go up against Bagnaya. Um, and all Martin has done is crash. So the two guys that really battled for that factory spot last year, you know, in, in Bastini, I mean, obviously he's not even done a race yet this year. He's done one and got taken out. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. We'll see how healthy he is. The thing I found funny about the report of him coming back is he only went to Mizano and did 10 laps. He went mm -hmm. to Mizano, did 10 laps, and like, yep, I'm good to go. Let's go. Yeah, but also this morning he shows up and he goes to the FIM, uh, the medical director. They give him his little test, probably that, like, how many push-ups can you do thing, and he's cleared to go. So speaking of all that, Jay, as we continue with our news presented by Arai, let's just talk about Jerez. What are you expecting to see in MotoGP at Jerez or maybe Moto2, Moto3, whatever? And we'll just, we'll just do the little preview of what's going to happen. What are your thoughts? You know, you know, what I was thinking when I was watching Aston this last week is that when you and I talked about the preview to Aston, we were like, oh, this might be a place where Johnny and Top Rat can do well. And it just wasn't the case. Right. So I kind of feel like if you're Yamaha, you kind of go, well, they've won twice, I think, with Guadararo at Jerez. And you sit there and you go, well, maybe this is the weekend. Right. That that. <laughs> that Yamaha can, can do something. I mean, his third place at Coda was, was incredible because it was good for him with Bagnaya falling out and some of those. Right. But now I just think that it's so close, the competition in MotoGP, there's a couple things that stand out for me. I'm excited to see what Rins can do at this track following up Coda. Mm -hmm. Is the Honda kind of a for real deal or is it not? You have to remember too, Jerez is a place where they do a lot of testing. So this isn't going to be like an unfamiliar place. So we can kind of look and see what's gone on there, even testing wise, and who's going to be pretty good. And I think it's going to be, you know, the Ducatis again are going to be incredibly hard to beat. Uh, what's KTM going to do there? They, you know, I, I've got all the same questions as the rest of everybody else, but I think most important, will, a, will LCR Honda be able to build off what they did at Coda and can Quattararo be competitive? And I think, those are going to be the two things that we'll, we'll answer. The Ducati we know is going to be there already, but it's the other ones that I'm I'm, I'm thinking about maybe a little more. G Dub. Yeah, I would agree with you. Everything you that know. you said on that is what's going to happen. What about Moto Two? Are you expecting anything crazy in Moto Two? I just think Moto Two is crazy in general. I think now mm -hmm. that they now that they've gone back to Europe, I think that. You know, Acosta right now just seems to be the guy that everyone's going to beat. He's got racecraft. He's got the best team. When I say he's got the best team, I don't know if he's got the best team, but it looks like he's got the best team. Obviously, Mark VDS with Arbolino is amazing. Dixon, I mean, you see Dixon crash on the warm-up lap. That's such a shame. Uh, a lot of people fell where Dixon fell um, during the course of the weekend at Coda. That little kink left before you go up over the brow, that hill headed to turn 10, and it was a real, they were really weird incidents. And so it's too bad to see that happen to him. But uh, yeah, between Moto2 and Moto3, now is kind of where too, like with Moto3, um, the only one I missed, I missed Portimao. I've watched the other two races, but um, but yeah, it's, I'm you know, Jerez is, a, is an interesting track. It's an interesting place. I'm sure that, I'm sure it's going to be packed full of people, which is great. What an atmosphere. And um, yeah, I'll be, I'll be glued. <laughs> it's going to be a fun weekend for yeah. sure. It's gonna be All right, well, that'll great. do it oh, for our news yeah. presented by Arai, JP. Yeah, well, we've got 
stuff to talk about, don't we? Because Moto America this last week was uh, in Atlanta. It was our opening superbike round of the year. Obviously, we could do Daytona, but that's not part of the actual series. Uh, so we headed off to to our first round of the year in Atlanta, and I think that there was a lot of there was a lot of energy around what was going to happen, what's going to happen in Atlanta. And Greg, by and large, I mean, before we get into really talking about results and things of different classes, I mean, every class we had had a great race. The only one that really didn't, I think, was race two in Twins Cup, um, where where Rocco, you know, his bike stayed together in that one and he was able to take off and run away. But every other class was super close all year long. And you and I, I got to say, probably left the booth. I, I was super happy because I'm like, we're going to have good racing to call all year long. Uh, in Superbike, we had four or five solid contenders. It was too bad that Cam Peterson's bike blew up in race two because I think he'd have been in that fold with the other four. We'll get to talking about here in a minute. I think the next gen rules in Supersport have proven to be very, very, uh, very close. We had Kawasaki, Yamaha, Ducati, and Suzuki's all up front. And so, you know, and in Junior Cup, we had new new people. Avery Dreyer pushed himself to the front there. So there's there's a lot of great storylines in our series, and I'm probably more excited for uh, for our championship this year than I than I probably have been in a few years. Yeah, which is saying a lot because we're always excited for the championship. But I think when mm -hmm. you leave Road Atlanta and you go, I mean, we've talked about this to many people, Jay. It's more challenging to commentate a race where there isn't a race. Yeah, you know. That's, that's where you have to kind of dig deep and really find things to talk about and stuff. And that's what we get paid to do and we enjoy it. But, you know, it was funny because we were like, what, two, three laps to the end of Superbike race one. And we both looked at each other and we're like, this race is almost over, man. Like, like, whoa, time went by. It was almost like our experience at the Daytona 200 two years ago two years when ago. it was like, yeah. wait, we got a yeah. two and a half hour show and we're like almost done hour and 45 minute race. And it was like, holy crap, we're almost done with this race. When it's entertaining for you, it's entertaining for us as well, especially yeah. to be able to call. Um, I have a bunch of results pulled up, Jay, if you want me to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got Superbike, but do it. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Greg. So Medallia Superbike race one. It was Cameron Bobier who won over Jake Gagne by three-tenths of a second. Heron was 1.9 back. Cam Peterson, 2.1. Matthew Skultz, 3.8. It wasn't really the story of the race. You know, I, I think the story of the race is, is that you have Jake Gagne who goes out there and on lap three breaks the track record a 123.828 and had a gap on Bobier. And Bobier even said post-race, like, oh, man, I, I was like, uh, okay, now I guess I'm just going to hang back here in second. But slowly, Cameron started to chip away at it, and Gagne started to suffer arm pump, so he wasn't able to continue the torrid pace. They dropped themselves down into the 25s, and we have a race. And, Jay, when, when you were getting two laps to the end, did you even think it was really possible that Cameron was going to win a race? His very first back in the States on a new motorcycle with a new team. What a, what, what a story. I mean, did you think it was possible, though, when we were in the middle of that race? No. I didn't think it was possible going into the weekend, though. And it's no knock to the team, and it's no knock on Cameron Bobie. I just know what they're facing. And it's when you look at that attack team, and they learned a lot going to Portimao last year for World Superbike. And I thought that, you know, the step that they had made uh, was going to be big. And it was. I mean, look, they went 23-8. It's good when we see right off the bat lap records being broke from the year prior. So we, we even if it's only just, it's still a lap record that was broken. And what you have to remember is Gagne did his normal thing, didn't he? He took off, and we're like, okay. Now let's see who can do what. We saw Belbier go past Skoltz on the opening lap down the back straight. Before the race started, I had said to Greg, I said, I said, what I can see happening 
is if Bobia gets off the line second to Gagne, I can see the BMW passing Gagne down the back straight. But he got off third, didn't he? So it was Skultz he had to go past. But then that gap was already there. It was already 0.9. I think on the telecast, I'm like, what is it? 0.4, And it was 0.9. And I was like, yeah, he's gone. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> that, gap, that gap kind of stopped growing. And then it started chipping away. And I was thinking, wow. And to your credit, to your credit, you were like, something doesn't look right with Jake. You, you, you kind of said it like something doesn't look right. And that could have been the arm pump problems uh, that we saw with him, but that you can't take anything away from Bobby. I mean, for him to come back, jump on that bike, jump on that team and just go out and win against the team that's been dominating was, was incredible. And on lap, I think it was great. I remember looking and it was lap nine. And I said something about, well, let's see if it's sustainable. Now we've gotten through not quite halfway done. And then next thing you know, the white flag was coming out. And it's like, Cam's still leading. And it didn't look like there was anywhere that Jake could, could really do anything with him, did it? No, because what we found out later was he just couldn't attack him on the brakes. Yep. I mean, the BMW in that long back straightaway was faster. It really was. It was faster. It yeah, was it was a different. Yeah. Yeah. And it, <laughs> there's so many great stories. Like, the one thing about Cameron that I think people don't understand is think about if you go to work every day and you get your just you're beaten down by your boss, by the public for two years. Mm -hmm. You know, you have one or two moments where you finish fourth, but you're not on the podium. You're five times superbike champ. You flying in there with all kinds of confidence. And you took two years of getting your brain beat in. And you come to the States and you're on a new team with an unproven motorcycle, all that stuff. And on mm -hmm. top of that, Dunlop rolls out brand new tires that you've never even ridden on. You know, a new profile front tire, a totally different, you know, size rear tire. The there there were there was chatter about how the, the tires were acting different, meaning like you could go really good for one or two laps and the performance would massively drop off and then hang there. And mm -hmm. as opposed to like in the old tires, it would kind of step down and then step down again, kind of a thing. So different, different performing tires. You have all those things going against you. And the fact that Cameron Bobier goes into second place, continues to push forward, and then is able to put two years of mediocre results behind you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And to have the confidence I mean. to say, I got this. I, no problem. I got it. And he was good on the brakes down into turn 10. It was like, it was just like watching a dude who just shook off two mediocre years and was like, no, I am. That's right. I'm Cameron Bobier. I remember now. And Cameron's not an egomaniac by any stretch of the imagination. He's not that guy. But it's <laughs> like if you were sitting there going, you know, yeah, you know, fans walk up to you and you go like to Josh Heron, they'll walk up to him and be like, dude, why'd you finish third? You're Josh Heron. I know yeah. what they're trying to say. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. in their brain and stuff. But it's always different mentally. And I, so I look at that and I think the amount of things that Bobier overcame to, to, to go out and win his first race is, is astonishing. It really yeah. is. It just shows you what a how mentally tough he is and obviously his talent level and all that kind of stuff. And honestly for Jake Gagne to have arm pump and still hang in there and make it a race was, was really good. Now, if you go back and you look at the results and you go, okay, you know, Matthew Skultz ends up third, but Heron was also in the mix up front. I think a lot of people, and I heard this from the guys who were ahead of him. A lot of people were surprised that Josh was as close as he was, you know? Uh, and, and for a lot of reasons, you know, it's like, Okay, is he going to be serious about training, which he was, and how good's the motorcycle going to be? So that's race number one. Also, what I want to comment too is I looked at Richie Escalante, and of course, you know, we, we talk about uh, Tony Elias's return 
he was end up in eighth. You know, Corey Alexander beat him in his first full-blown superbike, you know, deal. PJ ahead him, but Richie Escalante was fifth. And he was Richie's getting closer to the front, Jay. You know, you look at fastest laps to fastest laps. Or sorry, that was race two. I'm looking at race two. Yep. Escalante yep. was six behind Skoltz. But if you look at it, you know, he goes about a second or so, a mm, little bit more than that in terms of fastest time. He did a 25-4 the first race as mm-hmm. his fastest lap of the race, where Gagne goes 23-8. When mm-hmm. we go to race number two, Gagne wins, okay, and by uh, five-tenths or five, yeah, five-tenths of a second over Bobier, eight-tenths of a second over Skultz. Then Heron finishes fourth, 2.2, not the tail of the story. You look at Escalante, who finishes fifth, and he does a 24-9. So he actually closed the gap quite a bit in terms of the fastest lap of the race was Bobier then at 24 flat. Mm-hmm. So you look at Escalante and you're going, okay, if you look at fourth and third place, they only did 24 fives. Mm-hmm. So he did a 24-9. So he's closing the gap. Then PJ sixth, then Corey seventh, then Tony Elias in eighth place. Then you have Ashton Yates, who finished at the aftercare Shivey team. Then you have Hayden Gillum in 10th. Hayden was a big surprise on the weekend, I think, with his speed. Not quite the speed we know that he's capable of running. Not mm-hmm. really sure what happened there. But, Jay, if you look at it, you go Jake Gagne, arm pump, comes back, rides up front, wins the race. Cameron Bobier was right in the position we thought he was going to be in, right up front. Skoltz and his team. I mean, Jason, we talked about this. That bike, that Westby bike from Saturday to Sunday looked like a totally different motorcycle. Did it not? It did. It did. And I I got a chance to talk to Matthew after the race. And one of the things, you know, we we they came out of the press conference. I saw him in the hallway. And one of the things I noticed a lot during the weekend was how much his bike wheelied. And he's like, Jay, you're on it. He's like, that's exactly what we're working on right now because it doesn't just like when he comes off corners and it starts to wheelie, it doesn't, it's not like a smooth thing. It's like, it's, it's almost like somebody's doing a wheelie and just snapping the throttle off. You know, like you see those guys learning how to do wheelies and the thing starts to come up a little bit and it scares, you know what, out of them. And they just chop the throttle off and it slams the ground. You're that's talking about what, my whole life, by the way. Yeah, that's, years. that's what Matthew can't do it. That's what Matthew's bike looked like, especially coming out of the last corner when I was observing it. Um, and, and we talked about that a little bit. So the electronics package that they have is new and they're working towards making it better. And it was definitely some progression. You could feel the sense of frustration in Matthew's voice because he's like, oh, we're so close now. And the fact that he was in with a shot in both of these races, fighting a few of the things that he was fighting. But that team, that team is going to continue to make him more comfortable you know, when, when you go back to and you look at these two superbike races, the real tell for me that I thought was great was how in the first race, Heron, Peterson, and Skoltz, they looked like they were faded out of this thing. And the two guys at the front, the pace did slow a little bit. Heron and Peterson and Skoltz kept on charging and kept on charging where we had our top five separated by 3.8 of a second. And I thought that's going to get those guys a big, big boost of confidence because if they hadn't lost that time at the beginning of the race, they would have been in that battle. Um, had there been another maybe two laps left in that first race, they would have been part of that battle. They were catching them so quick, weren't they? And I think that you had made mention in the telecast a couple times, like, hey, they were a half second quicker catching Bobier and Gagne. So, and that's really what played out in the second day was that it was almost like Gagne and Bobier were going to be first and second up the hill. And those other three guys were just like, I got to be third. I have to be on the back of them. And and Heron was, and he, and he never let those guys go. That boasts well because Greg, literally once you see the pace as a racer, 
once you see what you had to do to stay there for the first lap or two, that that blends itself into the next race and the next race and the next race and the next race. Once you get that feel. And those guys got that feel. And we were really treated on the second day to maybe I heard a lot of people saying this, and I think you even said it to me afterwards, but it might have been the best race that we've ever had in Superbike uh, in our short history of Motor America in, in six years or seven years you and I have been doing this. Um, because the second race, there was there was so much of what's going to happen. Like wh- who has anything left? Like what is going to happen here? And uh, and the second race was just incredible. I'd like to go back and, you know, normally when we know we're going to have a good race, I start – just doing little little hash marks, little tick marks to say, all right, there's pass for lead, pass for lead, pass for lead. You know, it's just a story point. And mm-hmm. I just didn't get it going in Superbike. But I mean, I, I just think there were probably a dozen passes for lead in that race. But Jason, let's talk about the last lap. Okay, this is what a lot of people are tuning into this podcast. I'm sorry it's so deep into this podcast that you're getting this information. But let's talk about what happened on the last lap of Medallia Superbike race number two. Uh, let's kind of set it up, Jay, I would think, uh, starting turn number six, all the way to the finish line. Talk us through what you saw, what we saw, uh, in, on the last lap, the last half of half of the, of the lap, well, Josh Heron, Josh Heron leads into turn six, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, he passed Bobier going into six and he made a small error, uh, I think in seven, cause he ran a bit wide and, um, you know, I mean, that happens. Uh, but he made, he made a very calculated, good, good pass in six. And you go down that back straightaway. And I think that what people lose on here is, you know, I'm, what happened going through that kink, I can't even begin to tell people how gnarly all that was because you and I, we didn't get to explain it. And we were so frustrated at the end because we had to get off the air and we weren't able to explain. But when I saw the replay, when we went to break and they showed a replay, and I, I'm hitting you on the arm. I'm like, great. Like, Bobby probably lost the front and had to check up. And poor Josh was on first the outside of him. As soon as we go it's, to break, yep. The, it's the first thing I said to you. And I never got to really say that. You know, unfortunately, I didn't get to say that uh, for everybody to hear. Or if I did, it was super brief. But but basically, Cam was on the right side of Heron as they went down that back straightaway, which would have made it a little bit sharper for him in that kink. That kink, for those of you who have never been to Atlanta, is flat out. It's on the stop, 180 mile an hour. And and, and Heron was just to the left of Cam and thinking probably to himself, I'm going to have a shot when I get down to the bottom of this hill. And all of a sudden, it 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 the ever so slight bit of rollout that Bobier did there was enough where Josh got kind of into the back of, of Bobier. And... What must have gone through Josh's brain at that point, I can't even begin to explain because I have been offline there a little bit, passing people or a back marker or whatever the case. And you get out to the left and you go, oh my gosh, I'm out here a little bit further, which then causes you to lean a little bit more. And the, the that two and a half seconds that Heron must have had from making contact with Bobier to finally kind of gathering the bike back up at all must've been just terrifying because he at one point was so wide and so leaned over that there comes a point where everything just kind of stops and everything just kind of goes to like a survival mode of, I got to get out of this situation. And as soon as the bike gets upright at the bottom, then it becomes like, 
how a how am I going to defend my position and how am I not going to take anybody out? And I think that you told me that, uh, which makes a lot of sense, is that he he had no brakes when he got to the bottom of the hill, and you know he had a little head shake. I think after he got the bike kind of upright, it got into a head shake, and Josh had no brakes. I mean. Like well, the best way I could put it, I said this to you yesterday, didn't I? Imagine being a track day rider for all of you out there that have ever been on a racetrack and you're a track day guy or you're a club racer, whatever the case is. I want you to think back to a time and it probably happens every weekend to every one of you where you get into a corner and you think, oh my gosh, I'm in here a little bit too quick. And you use up an extra four or five feet of track. And at the moment when it's happening, you think, oh my gosh, this is, I'm totally, totally hosed. But then you gather it up. A lot of us can do that at 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 mile an hour. This guy did it at 180 plus in a draft. And for me, I, I got on an airplane that night thinking about it. And I was like, man, that had to be really, really a scary thing. And then he gets down to the bottom, maybe had no break. Whatever the case is, I don't even care what it is. He, If you told me that he had breaks, he was still so far offline and still didn't really have time to react to what had just happened to him. And next thing you know, he shoves himself between Bobier and, and Gagne. And there was a point there where I feel like Josh had to let go of the lever to get through that space to allow himself to get between the two of those guys. And um, look, it was a remarkable piece of writing for me. If anybody's giving him hate, uh, they're out of their brains. <laughs> Right. Out, of their, Out of their brains. And I have been critical of Josh. Like I, I still think that it, it Daytona has, as he holds his hand up and goes, I made a mistake in turn one. I'd have been like, Hey, that's, that's racing. It's a mistake. Right. Because mm-hmm. I have seen this guy with the amount of bike control that he has do things that I go like that blow me away. And in this particular case, all those four or five guys at the front have insane bike control. All of them. Most people in this case, there is zero way they make it through turn 10 without cleaning somebody out or hitting somebody or something catastrophic happened. In this case, the worst thing that happened was Heron finished fourth. Um, and I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that like what he had to have gone through in that two seconds, two and a half seconds for anybody out there to even criticize what happened there. That's a complete race incident. It was a mistake. It wasn't even a mistake. Bobier didn't do anything wrong. That guy's self-preserving himself as well. He gets into the top of a kink at 180 plus and loses the front. Your natural reaction is to roll out of it a little bit. And um, and Heron just was on the left side of him. No, no fault of anybody. But man, there's no runoff there, Greg. Zero. And, and the-, the fact that he was <laughs> just able to avert disaster twice. Yes. I mean, I, I hope that, that uh, Simone will give me access to look at their data and tell me what was the lean angle that Heron was at at the oh. top of that hill? Normally, they're probably at, I don't know, what would you say, Jay? 20 degrees of lean angle, maybe, going yeah. through that kink? And I he mean, was probably at 50 degrees of lean I mean, angle on a dirty part of the racetrack, and the damn thing stuck. And it was that alone, just to have the the, the mindset to not target focus on the outside edge of the racetrack with that freaking wall right there, to be able to lean it over, the talent there, and then to deal with the fact that, I mean, he was so far inside, even if he had breaks, okay? And he says he doesn't, and I believe him just from looking at what happened. Even if he had breaks and needed to snatch the brakes that hard, you're on a dirty part of the racetrack. You can't tell me you're going to lock up the front straight up and down and not have the feel you need. And the other component is, if you look at it, you go back and look at that replay, 
there is something that he did instinctually that I'm so marveled at right at the end of that turn 10 incident, just before he shoots the gap, he gets on the rear brake and it moves just a little bit to the left. And Bobier mm-hmm. at the same time lifts the bike and rolled off the throttle just enough. And of course, from our two dimensional view of it, it doesn't look like there is an inch to be had. Right. You know what I mean? I, and he gets through there and it's like, Props to Bobier for just continuing on, going. Oh, that was nice, you know. Josh just. Oh, ran, I mean, can you imagine how quick that red streak went by him? Can you imagine, oh Greg? My gosh, dude. And I haven't had a chance to talk to Bobier about it, and I haven't read anything on social media. Not saying it's not out there. I don't know if if Cameron's commented or not, but I'm just saying, dude. Like, if you're somebody who's been on a racetrack and raced, and has been involved in incidents and, and been taken out, the amount of things Josh Heron did right. If you're commenting on anything, even if you think you know what Josh Heron's behavior was after the fact when he pulled off and gestured to, to Cameron, you have no idea. He explains it. Josh did a video and he explains it. And I believe what he's saying. You know, mm-hmm. I think that the guy is in so much shock in the moment that, you know, you're just like, whatever. And I ran into Josh after you had gone off to the airport, Jay, and I was still there gathering my stuff. And I ran into Josh. And I'm going to tell you something, man. He explained everything to me in the moment, exactly the way he explained it on his video the next day. But I, I, I know I've been around Josh his entire career and his eyes were, he was still in a, a form of like disbelief or shock. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Oh, yeah. And his initial reaction was like, I'm really bummed that I didn't finish on the podium. And I looked at him and said, seriously, like, do you understand? Go back and watch the video, Josh, and you'll understand why you should be happy that you're not in a hospital somewhere. Well, the thing, the thing I think is funny because I did, I was told that there was like some hate thrown his way and that's just going to be because of previous stuff. People are looking back at previous stuff, People just want to hate the guy. And in this case, in this case, uh, it would be so fun if there was a way to do it in a, you know, if there was a way to do it and put the people that criticize him right in Josh's spot at that point and say, Hey, see how you can control this now. So many people would have uprighted the bike and and not made the corner or, I mean, I'm talking about the kink at the top and what's going through other riders minds had to be pretty incredible too, because all of a sudden this, like the sea parted in front of Gagne, like it was Bobier's hooking off to the right and letting off the throttle Heron's going off to the left and Gagne went right down the middle. And then you got poor Matthew sitting there. He goes past and he's got to be thinking what's Heron going to do. And, 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 there were so many things that happened uh, in that in that race and in that literally, Greg, in that span of, let's say, three seconds, there was so much disaster avoided. But if this is what it's going to be like to to call these races for the rest oh, of the year, we're going to need some oxygen up in our booth. Oxygen. I'm going to need <laughs> data blockers so my heart rate doesn't yeah. get out of control. Now, let's explain a little bit what happened on the TV side of things. All right. And I'm not yeah. defending. Yeah. I'm not defending us. What I want to do is just educate you a little bit, folks. So we're live. Uh, we're live on a lot of places and we're taped delayed on some other places. So we're live on Mav TV for Superbike. That's an actual network that has a very scheduled time. We have a certain amount of, of time that we know is content time and we know is commercial time. I'm not going to give their secrets away. Uh, it's not really a secret, but um, we have. So the network says this is how much content time you have. This is how many commercial breaks we have and this all that stuff. So that's all preset. We know. And Mav TV is a very good network. They're very flexible with us. But on the back end of that Medallia Superbike race, we had at four o'clock, we had to start the next race, which happened to be Mission King of the Baggers. So 
as I remember, as I remember it, Jason, when we went off the air to our last commercial break for Mav TV, the producer said we have like one twenty-two. I think is what he said. We have a minute and twenty-two seconds until we're off the air. That means that we had because of the red flag early on in the race, and we had burned all that time. We burned the segments. Okay, we don't get that time back miraculously. So because we're live, live as we say, as opposed to live to tape. We were, if we were live to tape, we could have actually just lifted all that kind of interviews that Hannah did in the middle and, and, and had race content to have interviews and all that kind of stuff. But we weren't. We were live live. And so we ran out of time. And nobody was more heartbroken than the entire TV crew. We all wanted to hear all three riders. Plus, we wanted to hear what, obviously, Josh Heron would have said right after that race. It was, mm-hmm. It's key to the storytelling. It's a huge opportunity that's missed. That's going to live, you know, on and on and on for you on YouTube and stuff. But we're back racing in three and a half weeks at Barber. And I guarantee you the first segment of Superbike race number one, part of that is going to be dedicated to telling the story that we're telling you right now with hopefully sound bites from Josh Heron and Cameron Bobier as to their perspective on what happened because it was gnarly. And I mean, I have seen some amazing people do amazing things on motorcycles. Jason, we talked about this. You harken back to the day when Matt Maladden coming out of that very corner, his rear tire exploded out of the going kink. down the, coming down the after the, just after the kink, the yeah. rear, his rear tire exploded. He saved it. He was leading. Was it, it was oh. a race. He was leading oh, yeah. the race. Yep. It exploded. He saved it, goes through the gravel trap. Couldn't get the bike moved because of the tire. He goes over the crest of the hill, walks down middle of the race, goes to his pit. And I'll never, ever forget this. He sat there for two hours and signed autographs. Yeah. Like I, I was shocked yeah. because Matt wasn't really a guy who did that very often, like signing autographs. And that was during the time when people had those t-shirts, Jay, anyone but Maladdin, if yeah. you remember those shirts yep. and those, all those people walked up and were like, dude, that was the most amazing. And I sat there from a distance and watched it. And Maladdin had a smile on his face and he engaged everybody. And I was just shocked. I was like impressed too. Like not that Matt ever needed to impress me, but I was just like, that's pretty incredible because I had think if I had a tire blow up at me at 185 or 190 miles an hour and saved it, I probably would have just wanted to sit in my motorhome and chilled for a little while and put on some Enya or something, you know? Yeah. Well, but, if that tire blows, if that tire explodes in the place where Heron had to, where, where those two connected, where Bobier and Heron connected, Matt wouldn't have been as lucky. Yeah. And the fact that it actually blew coming down the hill, he was incredibly lucky. He rode it out into the gravel, if you remember, and he tipped over and he picked the bike up. And he was paddling his way out. He started the thing up and he's paddling his way out of the gravel and then gets it on grass, but the thing's on the rim. And it's, it was, it was, it was a pretty, pretty scary situation. And in this case, it was the same. And I'm happy, so happy that everybody came out of this thing. Great. And we were treated to such awesome racing. And I can only hope Greg that it's going to continue. And I, like I said, you're going to get, you're going to get a, um, Cam Peterson would have been right up in that battle. Eventually, it'd be great to see PJ or Corey Alexander um, up in that battle. So when you start to look back at a few of the other guys, Escalante, as you said, went quicker the second day. Richie held on to those guys at the beginning of the race, if you remember. So, you know, there there are going to be some good storylines in Superbike as, you know, as the year goes. Uh, when we when we move on, Greg, and we start looking at our super sport category, I think that a lot of people were wondering, you know, Chavi Forrest, is he going to be the guy to beat? And I mean, 
when I say a lot of people, I think there was a few people that were wondering, you know, what's this guy going to do when he comes and gets back on a super sport bike right off the bat, you've gotten this chance to speak to him obviously. And from what I hear from everybody in the paddock, he just sounds like an incredible person to start with. Incredible guy, super nice guy. So pumped to be here when you hear his backstory. And I mentioned it a little bit on air. He was telling me, you know, he came over here and did the Suzuki Cup when he was 16 years old to Road Atlanta and had made the decision at that point that he wanted to come and race in the U.S. He was working on a deal with Jordan Motorsports that never worked out, I think, to be your teammate. Crazy. And, you know, or, or pot, you know, that deal and has just looked and wanted, always wanted to be here. Kept an eye on what's going on in the States, watched the series. And the fact that he gets here. And Jason, you and I have had an opinion of Chavi Flores over the years that the guy's got plenty of talent and he's been fast given the right situation. Mm-hmm. But he's also been a rider now that he's 37 years old that has been put on teams that are so-so. And those results he's gotten are so-so. So you put him on the team that just won the national championship with Josh Heron aboard. And you know you, you put him on a bike that's pretty evenly balanced. It's, it's not the fastest bike out there. I think at this point, if you just look at data alone, you say the GSX-R 750 has the edge. You know, the Ducati's got a great drive, and it just doesn't have the top end. You know, you have bikes that are very well balanced, though, as we saw, Jay. I mean, you look at those results, and you go Ducati, Suzuki, Yamaha, Kawasaki. Mm-hmm. One, two, three, four. All yeah. within three-tenths of a second of each other at a racetrack that is fast. That yeah. is not as technical as some of the other tracks, right? Like, I would put Road Atlanta probably in that Road America category. You know, where the straightaway, you can kind of make some time up if you're not great through the S's or five or whatever. And so it's a very race-friendly racetrack, as opposed to some of the places we go to, which can be very lonely racetracks. But anyway, with all that said, the storyline was great. I like Chavi. He's a really super guy. Obviously, he's a new dad. You know, there's there's great storylines around there. And you thought, okay. But the question is, can he do it in race number two? And he was able to pull it off in race two. And he, he did it in even more convincing style. And uh, used a lot of racecraft, didn't he? That's so here. That's the thing, Jay. He's very smart racecraft wise. He understands racing in general. He understands where he's strong, where he wasn't. And he also, if you listen to post race interview number one, he knew he said, these guys are all going to come back at me even harder, you know, tomorrow because they're all going to go back and make improvements. And he's like, you know, there's only we really can't do a whole lot to the bike. How often is it that you go to a guy who hasn't been to a racetrack since 2004? So in my opinion, he hasn't been here, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, hasn't been here since 2004. How good is the bike and the, and the team to keep all the data or to make a bike after, I think he tested, we test, he got to ride at Daytona a little bit. And I mean a little bit Mm -hmm. at Daytona and they went to what Roebling maybe I think they tested at Roebling. Yep. And they got a bike where the only thing that they did to that bike after his race was give him a little bit of rear spring. That's how good the bike was in race yeah. one. Well, it was great. And, and the, you know, the one thing that I thought about watching race one is that when Hayes got down, when Hayes took the lead and actually got down through the S's and got through turn seven and actually had a gap. Uh, I think I mentioned it also. I'm like, if he doesn't have anybody passing down the back straight away, that is going to give such a boost to Josh. And Forez drafted past Tyska or Mesa. I don't remember because he was third at one point. And when they got down to the braking zone, he did not care. He was like, I'm getting to turn 10 before Josh because I have to slow him down, which is a tactic that I think Josh has used a lot in his life where he had to lead. Josh always wants to lead. Talking with Josh, he's like, you know, 
They pull me off the corners. He says, but when I get to fourth, fifth, sixth gear, I can reel them back in. In other words, the R6 has its strengths in different places. So he felt like he could draft those guys. But the problem was, is if, if you watch the last, the last lap of that race one, um, the Suzuki and the Ducati could kind of get off turn seven. Josh was third and there was a five, six bike length gap created off the, off the acceleration off of turn seven. So much so that Mesa was able to go by Josh pretty easily down the back straightaway. Hayes had to pass him going down into 10 as well. Um, I thought Ty Scott rode well. He ends up second and fourth on the weekend. What can you say about Mesa? How cool is it that we're going to see him for the entire year? So Mesa ends up 4-3 uh, or 4-2 on the weekend, I think it was, Greg. So really good for Stefano. Hayes ends up with a pair of thirds. Uh, Michael Gilbert. First time racing the GSXR 750 with his new team. He ends up fifth in both races. Uh, you know, that team's going to, I think he'll get better as the year goes. Uh, you know, he talked about a little bit of physical, just not being, you know, he, he, guys come back from two broken legs. So, he, you know, Teague Hobbs ends up sixth in both. Um, you know, who else was pretty good this weekend was uh, Jagalov, Damian Jagalov. We saw him. I didn't get to see him at all, but... He ended up with two top tens, uh, eighth and both, mm -hmm. or eighth, yeah, eighth and both. Carl Soltis had his best result. So there's going to be some cool guys. Corey Ventura didn't get a lap in qualifying. Uh, he crashed early Friday morning. They couldn't get the bike together for the race. He came from like 25th on the grid, both races, and did a nice job of moving himself through. I think he ended up ninth and one. Where did he end up in the second? He ended up 10th in the second. So 10th, yeah. Maziato's back. So look, there's going to be some cool storylines. Our next race, when we talk about Supersport, Greg, is going to be um, it's going to be uh, a one hour, like, or you know more about it than I do, but more or less an endurance race on the Sunday at Barber. It's not going to they're not going to have two races as they as they have had. So it's going to be kind of a new look for this race. There'll be a lot of strategies that we could probably go into on another podcast, maybe before the, the week before the race. Um, but but Supersport delivered as well, I thought, this weekend. Good racing. Couldn't agree more. So that race is called Extended Race, and they're going to have it at Barber, and they're going to have it at Laguna. It's going to be a, a race that's going to be, I, I think, somewhere between 50, 55 minutes, somewhere along those lines. We're going to fit into an hour-and-a-half window. It'll be the last race of Saturday, uh -huh. and that'll be the only Supersport race. Um, they're going to have a mandatory pit stop that's going to have a duration so there might be some motorcycles like the Ducati, who seems to be good on fuel, easy on tires, that might even be able to go the entire distance. However, it'll be basically like set on how long does it take to go from the entrance of pit lane to the exit of pit lane? And then they're going to add a tack of time on there, like maybe eight seconds or, you know, whatever. So there's a speed limit, you know, on pit lane, 60 kilometers. So they can figure out exactly from where the line is to the line is in and out and then add a couple seconds. So we'll talk about strategies and all that kind of stuff moving forward. We'll talk about how the points are going to pay out uh, quick change stuff, all that. And, and the reason why Moto America is doing it, I like it now in terms of the championship, Chavi Flores has an early lead. He's got 17 points already over Mesa. So he's got perfect 50 Mesa, you know, with a, with a, a single podium, he and Ty Scott are tied. And then Josh Hayes with a couple of third places. He's at 32 versus 33 for the two riders in front of him. Uh, moving on to Junior Cup, Jay, you, you mentioned it earlier. Avery Dreyer, Max Van, Hayden Bickney's, Rossi Moore in the mix on the KTM, Chase Black, Yandel Medina, Chris Clark, Yvonne Rivera, and Logan Cunnison with Chris Elliott. Uh, Aiden Sneed ends up 11th on the Yamaha. That's 
you know, the only we have one KTM, one Yamaha, everybody else on a Kawasaki. That race was six tenths of a second. Uh, that was a banger of a race. The next race, Avery Dreyer, Max Van, Hayden Bickney, same podium, uh, a little bit different, you know, of a race, a little bit more of a gap. But all of a sudden, man, you're seeing uh, Avery Dreyer with a ton of confidence comes right out of the gate, does the double. Max Van, in terms of championship, is 10 points behind because he goes double, double uh, in second place. And then Hayden Bickney's goes double in third place. Uh, unfortunately for Rossi Moore, a DNF in that race, uh, but it's kind of the same story right now with the Yamaha. Unfortunately, the Yamaha just doesn't quite have the top speed as the Kawasaki's. And I know that that team, uh, tried a couple different e engine configurations, you know, like the two mil over kit and the GYTR, which is, you know, we'll talk more about those rules, but Jay junior cup looks great. I mean, we don't have a champion. Uh, everybody was like, except uh, for Max Fan was going to be a first-time winner. So Avery Dreyer gets his first win in the class after a couple of years in the series. And and the thing that I love most about it is that Max Fan's the veteran of the class, and he's at 17. So everybody's so 14 crazy. to 17 years old out front. So great. And let's, not, let's give a shout-out to DeMario, Alessandro DeMario, who actually put it on pole for Altus and then just didn't get the results that he wanted. But he'll be back. He's only 14. So like when you start to think about it, it's really fun. And, and Avery Dreyer, I mean, it's a long winter for everybody, but these kids are just chomping to get going. And for Avery Dreyer to come out and win both races, uh, it just kind of showed the experience, especially when you start to look at, you know, the, the top five guys in race two have all have all been in the championship before. Yandel Medina made a big jump. Like he's only 3.3 back off the, off the win in race two. So we saw him last year. He ended up six in race one. So look, it's going to be it's going to be great to see how these kids react to winning races and then the pressures of a championship because like you say none of them have won a championship before so that's going to be fun for for us to kind of see uh in twins cup greg uh when we start looking at uh twins cup sorry i'm just pulling it up as i go here oh i have it all i have it all i'm ready to roll race, if you want to all right yeah i got i got race one up anyways blake davis uh wins race one um do i have that right yeah, yeah. Uh, Lake Gus. Lake Davis won over Gus Rodeo, and then Hayden Schultz ended up third. Hayden Schultz, I'm not exactly sure what happened, and it's not a race that you and I call. So I don't get to talk to some of these guys as much as I would like, but Jody Berry and him somehow fell in turn five, um, and I'm not exactly sure what happened. It looked like maybe Jody had fallen and and Hayden. Oh, on the warm-up lap. On the warm-up lap. Yeah, sorry. I probably didn't say that, but Jody, it looked like maybe fell because we didn't have a camera angle on it. Um but it looked like he fell maybe coming out of turn five and maybe Hayden ran over his bike or maybe it was vice versa. I'm not sure, but Hayden Schultz got his bike back to the pits and they ended up finishing third over Blackman and Mesa who was taking the place of, of Kayla, obviously um, cause she's not riding. So Mesa was back Daytona winner. Uh, he ended up fifth in the first race and second race Rocco. It was great. Rocco was back. He got pole position, smashed his own lap record. Second race, he won by 4.1. And it never really looked close. He got a good good start, led, pulled away. Uh, he beats Gus Rodeo and Schultz again. Uh, Mesa fourth this time. Joe Lamondre Jr. ends up fifth, uh, who's a, who has stepped up from our Junior Cup last year. Good to see Dominic Doyle back too, Greg. After his crashes at Daytona, he ended up sixth in both races. In Revit's Twins Cup, four different race winners so far on the season. Gus Rodeo is leading that championship by 26 points. Gus Rodeo has gone win second, second, second. So he's looking pretty good. You have uh, Blake Davis who won the first race, obviously, of the weekend. Mesa won 
at Daytona race number two. And now Rocco Rocco's a question mark. I believe Rocco's a fill in rider. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah. But I heard him, I think someone said, and you know, I don't know, but I heard that he's coming to uh, Barber, but I, I, I don't know if he's just, you know, he showed up at Daytona too and, and he didn't have a ride. So, you know, you know, we need to see him riding. Obviously it'd be great if we could. So I don't know if he's coming there as just, uh, if he's coming there to just, you know, hang or if he's actually got a ride. In Mission King of the Baggers, it was kind of a different story. We didn't really have like great racing back and forth. Kyle Wyman in the first race absolutely checked out four seconds over Tyler O'Hara, Hayden Gillum in third, Bobby Fong, James Raspoli, Travis Wyman, who was un- very unusually not there. I mean, he was in the race for the championship last year. Uh, McWilliams ended up crashing out. And then Kyle Wyman did it again. His margin of victory is 1.8, but it was a very dominating kind of win for for Kyle. I mean, he the bike just looks so good, especially through the S's. There was a slight top speed advantage for the Indians in this one, but it definitely didn't look as much on the mm-hmm. second day. But O'Hare in second, Bobby Fong in third, Hayden Gillum, and Raspoli was third. So Kyle, on the back of three wins in a row and a DNF in the first race, they've obviously had four, takes over the championship from Raspoli, and he's got eight points over Hog Spoli, Hayden Gillum. So it's really nice, even in the early season, to see. So the factory bike takes over. I get all that. But it's it's Vance and Hines who still placed in second and third in this championship. And they have how many races this year? Seven? So I think the championship's 14 races. Is that? That sounds right. I right? think so, because they go to Road America. They don't go mm-hmm. to the Ridge. They go to Laguna. And I yep. think they go to Brainerd. Yeah. And then they go to Coda. So yep, 100%. And, so, and, yeah. Jersey? No Jersey? Maybe Jersey. Maybe Jersey, too. Yeah, so that's seven. So, so you got that with the Daytona thrown in there. Uh, and then any comments you want to make about that right now? Or do you want no, to No, I mean, like right now, I mean, so far, the races that Kyle is finishing, he's winning and he's making it look, I don't want to say easy, but he's making it look relatively easy. The lap times those guys are running are insane. So, again, I mean, he wasn't that far off of what super sport bikes were doing. And when you look at yeah. it, when you look at it, I think he did a 30-point-something I, I believe 30.3, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. And I'm looking at stock thousand results right now. And Ezra Bobier went 27.2. So it's, I mean, <laughs> on a bagger, you're only three seconds on off a bagger. what stock thousands are doing. It's it's remarkable. And your top, your top speed was doing. faster than a, than a super sport bike. Yeah. Their top speeds were like 160.7 or something, or 160 something. Like they were just like, a, they were right there with, with, and again, it shows you how different. I mean, that's a 620 pound motorcycle, right? It's like insane. It's, it's insane how how good they that the teams have gotten those bikes. But yeah, pretty uh, wild. Big big coming out party for Ezra Bobier, man. It was awesome to see Ezra win both stock thousand races in Atlanta. He comes out and wins race one by 2.7 seconds, Greg, and then he goes out and wins race two by six seconds. I mean, he was gone. Went 26.4 the second day compared to his 27.2 the first day. So. You know, for him, uh, the Orange Cat Racing Team, they legitimately should have had a first and second on the second day. Caleb DeCurl, who doesn't really ever make mistakes, made a, made a, 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 a bit of a hash out of it the second day when he ends up uh, really right behind his teammate coming into the last corner and outbroke himself a little bit, and that pushed him back to fifth. So Caleb, who I thought rode really well, he ends up fourth and fifth on the weekend, his debut uh, on, you know, coming from Twins Cup. So, so Kayla did a nice job. Travis Wyman ends up second in race one. He ends up fourth in race two. How cool was it to see Taylor Knapp, by the way? Taylor Knapp finishes third in race two. 
And of course, we got to talk about Jeff May. Jeff's been in the paddock for a million years. Uh, he kind of called it a career after this one. Race one, he ends up third. Race two, he ends up second. Um, you know, congrats to Jeff on a tremendous, tremendous career. I mean, the longevity that he had, um, the results that he had. Uh, I was got to, I got to be a small part of that in a couple ways. He came to one of my dad's schools at Road Atlanta, Greg. Like, well, it would have been at the beginning of his career, probably prior. I think he was on an SV650. He tells the story, and I don't really even remember it. But he came to one of my dad's schools. So that must have been in the 90s, like late 90s. And then, um, and then I was I got to spend quite a bit of time with him around the Jordan team when I was doing the two-up rides. He was riding for the National Guard team. And uh, just a good guy, man. Just Jeff's a good, solid guy. You could always sit and have a great conversation with him. Solid racer. Loved doing club racing. He did World Superbike with the Buell team. And he did a lot of uh, a lot of really cool things in his career. Now, he kind of announced his retirement, but he also said, look, you know, I'm 40. Josh Hayes is 48. Look where he is. Jeff is switching careers. His entire career is changing. He was in, you know, more along the finance, home finance stuff. And he's now moved out of that to a different company, put in charge of a huge program. You know, he wants to refocus on his family. So we talked about it and, and you know, he said, look, I don't know, you know, if, if, if I get this thing humming and things go well, I'm, I might, you know, come back and, and get on a racetrack every now and then. I still get a few years if you look at Josh Hayes. So I started laughing. Yep. You know, some riders, J Jason, as you know, when you call it quits, it's it's not necessarily over. I mean, you did it. You came back once, you know. So yeah. if the right yeah. opportunity presents itself and you still feel good, like somebody like Jeff doesn't have any reason to come back unless it's going to be with an opportunity to compete and, and do well. He's done a lot in the sport and and that's fine, you know. So, you know, if he and if you look at it, so the end of it, that's fine. If you look at the championship, Ezra Bobier leads over Jeff May by 14 points, but you got to take Jeff out of it because he's done. So in essence, Travis Wyman is sitting second in the championship at 17 points back with Taylor Knapp, only 23. And Caleb DeCarroll, like you're saying, Jason, he's 26. So we got a really, really good, healthy start to the season. Uh, it looks like everybody's coming off the bike. You know, ho hopefully we'll get some of the riders that like that are injured, you know, that have fill-in riders. Hopefully they'll come back stronger. Not sure what happened to Cameron Peterson, though. I still don't know if the motor blew up or a fuel line came off. That that fire that happened looked awfully Man. weird to me. It did. Yeah, look, and I even called Stamboli. And yeah, yeah, really. I weird. got online and, and played some Call of Duty with those guys the other night uh, with Skultz and with Peterson. But you know, I don't really ask. We don't really talk about racing. Yeah, know, and I didn't really feel like it was appropriate to ask. But I they know that they didn't, they didn't ask. They didn't ask you about archery, right? So you, know, ask you guys no, got to ask about and, archery now. You guys are just trying to stay away from the professions that you're the best in. So yeah, I understand. Yeah, it's actually pretty funny because I showed up <laughs> and uh, you know those guys knew me when I first started playing Call of Duty and I absolutely stunk. I mean, I would get stuck in windows, didn't know how to pick up stuff off the ground, didn't know any of the terminology, and we we end up playing this thing. There were seven of us uh, all in one lobby, and uh, I, I won. Like I smoked them all the oh, first game. It was really funny. And I was like, Cameron, I told you, I told you at Road Atlanta, I'm better than I used to be. That's and he funny. didn't, he didn't, he didn't say anything. Uh, World Superbike happened over the weekend, Jason. It and did. in race number one, Bautista beat Johnny Ray by three seconds. Race number two, Bautista beat Ray by nine tenths of a second. He beat that was top a sprint rep. race. Ray crashed. And so oh yeah. Sprint race. Sorry. Yes. Sprint race. Sorry. Yeah. Sprint yeah. Race. Yep. And then in race number two, Bautista ended up beating Raz Gatliago by 3.9 seconds. Uh, I, I love World Superbike, but we're three three race weekends in, and Bautista's got a fifty six point lead over Top Rack, seventy point lead over Locatelli, 
Uh, Bassani is in fourth place. Johnny Ray is in fifth. I, I yeah. don't know what this. I don't know what else to say. I mean, I, they it's raced. a bit of the same show now every weekend, which is sad. We've been through this, and you, you know the problem is, is it takes away the brilliance of who Batista is because he's amazing on a motorcycle. But the the thing is, is that when I watched him in race one or the sprint race go past Johnny after the fast rights and he just literally motored right by him before they even got to the last uh, kind of section of the track. I was like, it's just, it's unfortunately, no matter how you look at it, you have to understand the brilliance of a guy like Batista, who is at the top of his game with the package he has underneath him. So it's very, very difficult to sit here and, and shit on the series in the sense that you don't want it to sound like, um, like the guy winning wouldn't be winning on anything else because he rides extremely hard. But, and and everybody's using the, well, where are the other Ducatis is the thing. You know, when when Johnny was winning, where were the other Kawasaki's? And yet they penalized them. So you got to look at it like it's a little bit frustrating. I feel bad for our kind of counterparts, you know, Steve English and his partner Alex in the, in the booth because those guys now – they're kind of in the same boat that you and I were in for years when Bobier was winning everything where it's like, there's only so many things you can say. There's only so many things you can do. Or Gagne. Or Gagne. Yeah, I mean, but Gagne's only been around, he's been around for a couple of years. And last year, at least it was fun because, I mean, when I say a couple of years, he's been around for longer, but winning two championships. But last year we had a little bit of something there with Petrucci. We could talk about stuff and, you know, but now it, it now we have a series. Like if we have races like we had in Atlanta, and I don't expect everyone to be that exciting, but it'd be great. I think that we have. <laughs> it's great that we have two other manufacturers involved, which I love. But right now, World Superbike has become kind of processional. We kind of know what's going to happen. I mean, GW, you know me. I literally won't get on any social media. I won't do anything, will I, without watching the races? And you're always good mm-hmm. around me. You never mention the results and all that. I didn't even watch race two. I never even watched it. I'd never I even either. watched it. I went it. to the results and said it. And I, sorry, Steve English. I mean, we want to know, but th- this is my thing about World Superbike right now. Bautista can beat everybody with a bike that's not perfect. And in order for those guys to compete with Bautista, their bike has to be like 100% perfect. This is the way it feels to me. I'm not saying this is truth. Uh-huh. This is the way it feels to me. It's like the Cowie and the Yamaha have to be perfect and they have to go perfect every lap. Correct. Where Bautista can make mistakes, he makes it back up. The bike doesn't turn quite as well as the Cowie and the Yamaha in this particular corner or that particular corner. Eh. And that's the problem. It's such a performance gap, whether Bautista's on the bike or not. And, you know, I've been saying the whole time, let him race. And and honestly, I still hold the mindset, let him race. Don't really start equalizing Superbike. I don't really think it's the place to do it. You know, these manufacturers put a lot in development and all that stuff. Or maybe instead of penalizing the Ducati, which everybody's talking about, give a little bit more to the Yamaha and the Cowie. Give them some RPM, right? Like give them a little bit of something to help close the gap. However, with that said, Jason, the article that came out today talking about silly season already with World Superbike on worldsbk.com mm-hmm. is talking about Bautista's made some comments that he only signed a one-year extension, that family is important, and he's been enjoying family time. So Bautista's potential exit after this season because he's older, right? And and maybe just doesn't have the desire to train and do all those things. The exit of Bautista might solve everybody's problems uh, he as well. He's, dude, let me tell you right now, he ain't going anywhere. Mm. No, he ain't going anywhere. He's mm. not. Dude, he's not going mm. anywhere. Mm. Why would he? He's winning everything. Why would he go that, anywhere? 
Go out on top? I don't know. No, he ain't going. You don't know. That's that's really what? nice and stuff. It's a great story. It, I, I, one dollar. One dollar. Dollar? Dollar. You got it. I he, say he's out. He retires. You're crazy. There's no way he's out. <laughs> Zero chance. I'm going to spend the shit out of that dollar I'm going to from you. No, but I, I don't want him to leave. I'm going to go right though. to the dollar I want him store to, I want shop. Him, I want him to stay. I, think I want him to be, stay too, however. I think it would be a shame if he if they made the rules to where... I mean, dude, this is... I The only one guy I can think of was Johnny, who they they basically took Cowie and they detuned those bikes so that everybody else could catch up, which is horrendous. But now, look, the writing was on the wall at the end of last year. The right... The, that if anybody was expecting anything less than what they're seeing right now in World Superbike, they're nuts because the writing was on the wall at the end of last year and they did nothing about it. They did nothing about it. And I don't well, think... Yeah. Regardless of what... Nothing about it, but, but Scott Smart is he got pushed out. Yeah, but the thing is, is I don't even think... Myself, I don't think weight is the re, is the answer. I don't... No, no, think, weight's not the answer. It, but, but there's the others Cowie, who think the, that that is the case. The Cowie... We know that Kawasaki has more RPM. As a street bike, it has more RPM. Okay, it is like 250 or whatever, 500 more RPM as a, and that was the big thing a couple of years ago when they rolled out the RR, the whatever. They made the assumption that they were going to get the RPM that they made the, the homologated bike, and mm. they didn't. They ended up getting the exact same RPM as the 10R, and not the extra RPM the 10RR could make. And then they kind of tested, and you know, it was a mistake by Cowie and. You know, I thought this year was going to be better because they kind of knew uh, up front what they were faced with and the transmission would be a little bit better geared and all that kind of stuff. But we, Johnny Ray's not over the hill, dude. He's not. You don't just forget how to ride a bike. You know, it's not like Alex Rins, you know, who shows up on that Honda and he's first race, he's back there in the back of the pack. And you don't go from winning the last race of the year, <coughs> getting on that bike and forgetting how to ride, obviously. All you these know, guys are the incredible. Biggest, and if you put- And I'm the biggest Rins fan in the world. I think Rins is absolutely a- well, let's just be honest. I'm the biggest Rins fan in the world. We know who is. That's but, what I'm yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, the thing is, though, if you put Top Rack on the Ducati right now and you put Batista on the Yamaha, you're going to get the same result. And you've put Johnny on the Ducati, you're going to get the same result. Mm-hmm. I yeah. really do believe that. Like, it's so it's it's more or less you got those three guys battling at the front every weekend. Those are the guys. You Every now and then you'll get the Locatelli who stays in there for a lap. Um Rinaldi, which is still a puzzle to me. Me and Stevie get into this discussion all the time. Like Rinaldi, where did he end up this weekend? I he was so far back, it was it was it was like another racetrack on the other factory bike. Fifteenth. So, yeah. Uh hold on, I'm looking. Fifteenth, thirteenth in the sprint race. And Bassani's uh, beating him routinely. And right? tenth. Yeah. Yeah. Bassani's yeah, yeah. smoking him. Smoking him. Um, so, so when you look Dominic at Dominic Agurda's beating him, you know, Agurda went fourth that in race number two. Yeah, but he's, he's great. A beast. I think he's, he's a, beast. a beast. So, yeah, I, I look, I, Greg, I didn't watch one World Super Sport race. I didn't have a chance, to be honest with you. I like watching all that stuff, but I just didn't get a chance. But I think Bulaga won both those races. I think mm-hmm. Bulaga won, bo- won both right. World Super Sport races. So, um, I didn't get to see him. I don't know how much he won by, but I know he won both of them, which is great. Um, but yeah, you know, look, I think probably me not watching world Superbike race two was more of a product of not having time, but in the past I'd always make time to watch them. And I just, this weekend I was like, yeah, whatever. So by the way, Bulliga won race one by four seconds or five seconds. Yeah. Four, four point over, uh, Marcel Schroeder on the MV Augusta. MV. So MV Augusta wow. gets on the podium again, 
which of course I like. I know I spoke with uh, Debrino yesterday, and I don't know if you saw his post, but he just dropped his bike off at uh, EDR, I think is the name of the company that yep. he uses. Um, yep. Eric Dorn or something. And yep. uh, so they're getting, that bike requires, uh, by rule, that bike requires you to open up the motor and put some parts in it to make it homologated, basically. So he's getting pretty close. I think he's coming to Road America. So his leathers are done. He's got the body work on it. The motor's getting worked on right now. So that's, I, I really just love the idea of MV Augusta in the mix. In race number two, Bulliga wins by 4.4 over Manzi on the Yamaha, Caracasulo on the Ducati, Schroeder on the uh, MV Augusta in fourth, and the triumph of of Thule in fifth place. So again, the parody's there, man. It you is. know what I mean? Like yep. it, it, it's definitely there. And, uh, and the balancing and all that kind of stuff. It's just a shame that we're stuck in this little rut with World Superbike. And, you know, it wouldn't, it, it would break Ducati's heart for sure. It would kill them if there was a mid season change in terms of performance on the bikes. Again, I don't think weight is the answer. I think it's with the electronics age we have, there are things that can be done either to, you know, to, to add to the other bikes, make them go faster. I don't want to, I don't want to see anybody go slower. I, don't, mm. I would hate for them to go to Ducati and say, I don't know how they do it anyway. Give us your ECU and we're going to take some power out. Like, I, I don't want to see that. What I yeah. want to see is them go to Yamaha and say, is there more? Yes. Okay. Kawasaki, is there more? Yes. BMW, what do you need? Well, forget yeah. that. Those bikes are plenty fast. <laughs> they have They're other fast, issues on their they own. They other issues, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, all right. Well, let's move forward, Greg, because let's talk about some Supercross real quick. I was up watching Saturday night. I was on the old text thread with you and, and Uncle mm. Skip and Chuck and all that, and it was going to get late, wasn't it? Because I don't remember, but it was it was kind of like when you and I were at that football game at the um, oh yeah that right. you were that you were dying to go to the Eagles. The game. worst football game in the history of the mankind. Yeah, I'm going to post a video of you singing the, the song one day. Um, good luck. Good anyways, luck that. and basically, all the crowd were sitting there watching the race. There was a big storm coming in, and then next thing you know, it was everybody run for cover. So it must have been like an hour, hour plus delay. So what looked like a really nice, fun, dry racetrack turned into soup, basically. <laughs> it was bad. It was really, really, really gnarly. And watching those guys, great. These guys are so talented, man. Watching Supercross guys, it like it didn't even phase them. They don't get a warm-up lap. They don't get anything like that. It's just like, okay, uh, go everybody go to the line. We're going. Um, Justin Barsha, who has been on the cusp of winning a few times this year, he finally gets that win. Over Eli Tomac, Ken Roxon ends up third. Another good run from him. Sexton, who did have the lead at one point, of course, had a little something with Barsha and tipped over. And he came from like DFL to end up fourth. Cooper Webb, fifth. McElrath, Morantz. I mean, Kevin Morantz, seventh. Benny Bloss, eight. Justin Hill, Dean Wilson. Some guys that you're not used to normally seeing up there doing their thing. Um, but what a crazy race. The championship now is Tomac at 315 over Cooper Webb at 304 and Sexton at 294. I, it's crazy. Sexton could literally be leading this championship by 30 points. I mean, again, he ends up fourth here. He looked strong on the night. He looked like he was going to do great things, but um, you just, you know, in those conditions, it's pretty gnarly anyways. Barsha's fourth and Ken Roxon is fifth. We're getting down to it too. Tomac's leading that championship, and there's only what three races left in the season. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, I think so. There's, I think there's only there's three, two or three races remaining in the season, and yeah. Tomac's looking pretty good at this point. I mean, you know, hopefully he just stays it, healthy. And I, I have to give props, OJ, to this 
you know, we normally see way more attrition than we've seen this season. A lot of the riders have stayed quite healthy. I mean, you still have the top people in this championship racing each other. You know, oh, yeah. So. No, it's great. It's it's really good. And in the 250 class, I think it was awesome. Max Anstey holds off Jet Lawrence, who was, who was like making up some serious ground the last couple laps. He, like, he had like a seven and a half second lead with three to go. And everybody's, even the announcers are talking about, because it's so hard to see who they're looking at. They're like, oh, talking about how, you know, Max Anstey's got this big lead. And I'm sitting there going, well, there's a guy with a pretty clean jersey that looks like Jet catching him in, in like a light blue. <laughs> then the next thing you know, they're like, wait a minute, like, He's on top of him, but Max Anstey ends up holding off and winning. His podium speech was awesome. He he ends up winning the race over Jet and Hunter Lawrence, Volan Lopes, uh, Hayden Deegan, Mumford Park Shimoda, who's been back obviously from injury, and uh, Chris Blos ends up tenth. So in the in season stuff, uh, I believe this is going to be the East Coast standings that I'm only looking at right now. But it's Hunter Lawrence 198 because this was an East West thing. So. Hunter Lawrence is leading over Hayden Deegan, 198-149 in that championship. So where are they off to this week? They're off to um, Nashville. I think they're in Nashville. Nashville. Mm. Yeah, so that'd be good. So go. they're off to, off to Nashville this week. and yeah. Hopefully they get some good weather. I wonder what the weather in Nashville is going to be. Are you pulling up? That, that, that's an open, to, too. That's an open air one, I believe, right? Uh, yeah. I believe so. I'm looking yeah. at... The, looking at our results for oh, our uh, pulp for pulp DV nine three four leading the way still don't forget you're going to win an Arai helmet if you win this league and you win a set of Dunlop Q fives second place which is I don't even know how you say that Ed yeah is in second place yep you want to set a if if you know if this was the end of the season you win a set of Dunlop Q fives Huckleback Racing in third currently. Third place walks away with a set of Dunlop Q5 S's. Don't forget about our MotoGP uh, fantasy that we have going on as well. It's it's like fantasy.motogp.com or something like that. You go there and it's Greg's Garage Pod with Jason Pridmore and you go check it out and join us. Enjoy that league. Same prize pool. Rye Helmet, Dunlop Q5s, Q5s or Q5S's. So we look forward to seeing how that goes. Pridmore absolutely sucks. The weather Saturday night, by the way, in Nashville's look or Saturday's looking 75 and sunny. So they should be should have some good weather there in Tennessee. Jason, are you from Tennessee? Because you're the only 10 I see. <laughs> oh, that's very cute. Thanks, G Dub. It's very kind of you. How about we wrap this thing up? We've been doing it for like what, forever? I bet nobody's even listening anymore. But those of you that are, we appreciate it. What do we got, Greg? We got Jerez this weekend. What else have we got? We got anything else big? Jerez and Supercross and yeah, I'm going to be home for a weekend. I'm actually excited about that. So, yeah, if you're out there and you're listening, thanks for listening to me and Greg. And uh, enjoy the racing this weekend. We'll see you next week. Later. Later.